I'm Bruna Santos, I'm your host, and today I have the pleasure to talk to Oscar Vilhena about Brazil one year after its most consequential election, and also Lula's road towards more institutional stability in the country. Oscar is a law professor, and he's also the dean of the School of Law at the Getúlio Vargas Foundation in Sao Paulo, where he also teaches. He is a fellow here at the Wilson Center Brazil Institute, and he's author of many books, one of them called Battle of Power, which was edited and translated into English with us and will be launched here in March, here in Washington at the Wilson Center. Thank you, Oscar. Thank you, Bruna. It's an immense pleasure to be with you and to talk about the consequences of this attempt coup and the stabilization of democracy in Brazil. Absolutely. And I think that the last time we saw each other face to face, if my memory serves right, I think was just before elections. And then I think we met again after the turmoil in January 8th, right? Yes, but I think personally, you were here in Sao Paulo uh, some months before the election. It was a very tense moment, uh, not just because of the polarization and the, the, the natural competition between the candidates, but also because Bolsonaro was acting uh, uh, very aggressively against the electoral system and the electoral courts that in Brazil uh, uh, have the responsibility of handling uh, the elections. So it was a very tense moment. It's nice now to be talking with you in a different circumstance. Absolutely. Where were you on January 8th? I was was having a cup of coffee uh, with my oldest daughter. Uh, It was a Sunday, very tranquil Sunday. Uh, when someone from the media called me because uh, we were walking, so I was not watching anything. We stopped for a, a cup of coffee. And then someone phoned from, I think, from TV Globe or one of the, the, the televisions say, are you watching what is happening? So immediately I got in contact, returned home, and it was a, a nightmare because uh, what we saw, and you were also right regarding some of the similarities with the act that took place uh, three years before uh, in Washington. So large amount of people just marching uh, uh, to to the center of power in Brazil. For those who don't know, Brazil has a, a, a square that we say, the, the square where uh, the three powers are there, the legislative, the executive, and, and the judiciary. And they just invaded with very, very small resistance by guards that were there uh, uh, on that Sunday. So it was a strange day. We, uh, you know, I'm, I'm almost 60. I never saw something like this or resembling this in, in Brazil. Uh, and the, 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 the palace that was most attacked was the Palace of Justice, uh, the Supreme Court where the also the executive, the presidential uh, palace was attacked, but mostly the Supreme Court was the target of this uh, uh, of this group of radicals uh, that, in some sense, represent just a small amount of those who were uh, uh, disrespecting democracy in the last few years in Brazil. I was reading recently a book that was launched in Brazil, excellent book, called O Tribunal, 
I think it translates into the court in, in English. In, it, it's a fantastic book. I highly recommend. And it describes very well in details how that it, it's like very easy to have an image in your mind if you weren't there, of course, to understand like the level of the damage, how it uh, really um, hit an institution that for years was like untouched such as the Supreme Court. I think that the difference that between the fact that in, in the U.S. they attacked the Capitol and here was like the three branches of power were attacked. We saw like the, the core of the state was attacked. That was, I think, it's a, it's a very symbolic thing, right? Yes, and it's interesting because uh, when you think about the architecture of these buildings, they are very transparent. They are very glass, uh, 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 you know, there's no walls uh, uh, protecting the Supreme Court. Uh, there's no barriers. So it's a very open because the Supreme Court used to be very respected. Nobody imagined that people would invade. That's why you don't have uh, a protection, uh, 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 architectural protection, and even uh, 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 gods protecting the court. So uh, it was uh, very surprising to see this beautiful building by Nehemiah being, being destroyed, but also uh, there are the, the inside cameras of all of these uh, branches of powers, but people uh, filming it. So like what we saw in, in the Capitol, people really uh, were recording their own crimes, uh, destroying uh, arts, destroying uh, uh, the, all the memorabilia that you have in these buildings. So it was, was a shocking uh, moment, the attack to the core of the Brazilian democracy. Yeah. In the aftermath, we saw uh, both the Brazilian and the I mean, U.S. judicial systems addressing very differently uh, both uh, events. How, how different was and what impact has this had on the public trust in the legal system, do you think, in Brazil? Yeah, it, it is interesting. I have been in a debate with uh, Professor Levitsky uh, talking about the difference of the systems. And in fact, Brazil, perhaps because of its experience with previous authoritarian regimes, uh, built uh, uh, some defenses of democracy that perhaps you don't see in the United States. So you have more rules protecting the electoral system, you have more rules protecting the institution of democracy, you have inserted in the criminal code some rules where you can punish people that attack directly the institutions of democracy, and you have a Supreme Court uh, that I, I think in the last few years with several problems, but that got uh, very uh, muscular in the sense of protecting uh, uh, the Constitution. Uh, the, a, a court that was not co-opted uh, by, by Bolsonaro, so we have some stability of the court. And we saw in the last four years a court that was very vocal, both on the pandemic, but also in the other attacks on the indigenous people and other issues. So I think when the attack on, on January 8th happened, the court was there. Uh, and everyone looked at the court to see its its response. But I would like, Bruna, if you allow me to 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 step back and see that there were two kinds of reactions. First was the re the political reaction that I think it was different than than the United States. 
President Lula was outside of Brasilia, but uh, when he arrived in Brasilia, uh, some hours after uh, people were taken out of the of the buildings, he invited uh, the head of the the other powers, the, the the Senate and the House of Representatives, and the President of the Supreme Court. But he also invited uh, the governors of the states to come to Brasilia immediately. And all of them were there with very few exceptions. Even those uh, who supported Bolsonaro were there. And they marched from uh, uh, the presidential palace to the Supreme Court. And was an impressive uh, uh, symbol of, of the reaction of the political uh, um, uh, class in the sense that we disagree on many issues. There are radical disagreements, but we are together to protect democracy. So I think this was the first uh, sign that Brazil recovered very rapidly uh, some control of the situation. And this was a political act. Second thing that was very important was that uh, uh, many people would say in a situation of this extension in terms of this public disorder and where the police of the federal district, the police of Brasilia, was uh, uh, seen as part of the problem because they didn't provide the, the, the due protection to these uh, buildings. Uh, so it was to call the army, to call for uh, 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 what we call here an operation of law and order that allows you to ask the military to step in. So this was uh, one of the uh, decisions, the tough decisions that President Lula did at that moment when he said, no, we will not ask for the military to step in because this was exactly uh, the desire of those who provoked the disorder to create an, uh, an, a necessity to invoke the military power. And Lula didn't ask for this. He created a federal intervention, which is uh, you know, a, a remedy that is established in the Constitution. It is an extraordinary uh, a remedy, but it's a remedy where you take control, uh, the federal government take control of the state power. And this is what was done. Uh, he, he, he enacted... Uh, this decree, and one member of the Minister of Justice assumed the power of the security of the state, the federal district. And, and it's solved. Uh, so there, this is the second issue that links politics with law, but uh, protected democracy. Message. And third, there was the, the decision of the Supreme Court that it was already investigating the ra radical groups and immediately uh, started a process to uh, investigate those who invaded the court. There is uh, uh, an article on the internal bylaws of the court saying that if a crime occur in its premises, it is its own competence to investigate. So then it starts this major investigation where more than 1,400 people are uh, uh, under uh, the investigation of the Supreme Court. So there was these three sides of the reaction that I thought, uh, that I think uh, uh, were very important, besides civil society participation, the media, etc., everyone condemning uh, the, the attack. No, absolutely. And one thing that um, 
uh, I remember, and I think I think it was mentioned also in um, one of the articles covering the anniversary of the events in in Brazil and comparing it to the U.S. That um, even Ciro Nogueira, who was like chief of staff, former chief of staff of Bolsonaro, even Ciro Nogueira stepped in and said that he was, uh, and also an opposition leader in Senate, so that he was uh, condemning condemning the attacks. So it's very good that you brought it up that political leaders were very, there was a consensus to um, a political narrative uh, that was uh, about condemning the attacks, condemning the the violence, right? Even though it's a cynical uh, position by some of these leaders that were with Bolsonaro the whole time, that in some sense uh, insufflate uh, uh, these attacks. However, uh, when uh, the facts happened, when you know the brutality of the invasions were there, they have to step back and say, no, no, no. We, we have criticism to the electoral system, but we would never uh, support this kind of use of violence to uh, uh, disturb democracy. So it was interesting. Uh, uh, because it creates, as you say, a kind of unanimous consensus on the political class, even if you can say some of them were very cynical to do it. Well, we all know, anyone who follows Brazil knows that the Supreme Court in Brazil has taken on a more prominent role in recent years, especially in political matters. Do you believe that this trend may lead us or maybe already led us to an imbalance among the three brands of power and also in the short term, do you see the normalization in terms of this battle of powers to borrow here the title of the book? Um, may this normalization may be back? Well, uh, as you said, you know, uh, the, the, the court has been very vocal and, and prominent uh, for several years. It's not something new that we are seeing. Uh, this is a consequence of the institutional uh, decisions that were taken in 1988 when we created such an enormous constitution, so everything is a constitutional issue, and we transferred to the Supreme Court uh, competences or uh, jurisdictions that in other democracies are divided in at least three instances. So uh, the Brazilian Supreme Court is exactly like and has the same powers as the U.S. Supreme Court. So it reviews decisions from all over uh, the country. Uh, It is a constitutional court in the European model uh, in the sense that it receives case directly and it has to provide an immediate response to it. So the speed in which the Supreme Court, the Brazilian Supreme Court has to decide is a little different than the U.S. Supreme Court. That you know, you have many appeals. The questions are sedimented uh, in the in the lower courts. Here, no, you have a decision by the, the uh, Congress uh, at two p.m. At four p.m., there is a case at the Supreme Court, and perhaps in the next forty-eight hours, it takes a decision. And third. Uh, the Brazilian Supreme Court has a competence to trial every member of Congress and the cabinet of the presidential cabinet. So in some sense, it it is very politicized because it has to deal with uh, uh, bad deeds of members of Congress. So 
In the last decade, I would say, the Supreme Court became more and more prominent. As the country uh, emerged in some kind of political crisis, and the, the, the level of consensus of the political uh, uh, bodies uh, decreased, uh, many cases arrived at the Supreme Court. Uh, I would uh, uh, I describe for those who don't follow the Brazilian politics very close that if you lose in Congress, the parties that lose in Congress, their first reaction is to bring a case at the Supreme Court. So it became a little bit as the third house of Congress in some uh, circumstances. So, uh, and during the Bolsonaro government, Yes, the court was extremely uh, 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 questioned by the opposition parties and social movements to block most of the Bolsonaro uh, 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 decrees and other administrative actions. So, yes, the court became very powerful. And uh, the court was uh, uh, responsible in many circumstances to block the most authoritarian uh, movements by Bolsonaro uh, being this, the attacks on the electoral process. Bolsonaro, uh, as uh, Trump, criticized a lot uh, the electoral system, even though the electoral system in Brazil is being uh, uh, in use. It's a very modern electronic uh, process of collecting the votes and there was no uh, 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 problem that was uh, found along many elections in Brazil. However, Bolsonaro tried to change this, and the court was very strong in the protection of, of the electoral system. So the court became the target, the main target of Bolsonaro and Bolsonarism, because it protects the electoral process and also protects the progressive policies that are in the Constitution. So, yes, I think uh, you are right that in the end of this immense battle between the executive and the judiciary, and the judiciary won the battle in the, in the sense that it kept the constitutional system. However, uh, now we have to see if uh, uh, the judiciary does not uh, uh, extrapolate in the sense uh, of using its power to to govern uh, the country. So I think there is a period of accommodation that was already on track on, on, on December 2022. It's important that after the election, the, uh, the president of the court, it's a very interesting woman, uh, uh, Rosa Weber, she made a reform of the bylaws of the court to reduce the power of the court and the power of the the, the justices uh, individually. So it was a self-contained uh, uh, reform. Uh, however, the 8th of January tw uh, of 2023 brought the court back. So, yes, I think we have to reaccommodate. It will take a little time but the court will uh, uh, get back to a position that we f would feel more comfortable with. By the way, I think the more I read about the, the trajectory of Rosa Weber in her um, leadership as, as a president of the Supreme Court during those events in January, the more I admire her. And I think that her figure and personality were just like right to be in that position right at that moment. 
Yeah, I agree with you. She she was a, an exceptional justice, very discreet. Uh, however, she uh, in Brazil, the president of the court, it uh, holds power for two years and it's ro- rotative. Okay, so she it was her turn, and 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 she was the right person for uh, this uh, particular problematic moment. And she was capable of controlling the court, uh, f- uh, putting limits uh, to Bolsonaro. But as soon as the election ended, she also started a process of containing uh, some of the exorbitations of the court. Uh, however, she retired. And uh, the, 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 the retirement age is mandatory in Brazil. She was 75. She has left. Yes, uh, it is. Uh, it is sad that she was not. She is not there anymore. Yeah, it was not a complete mandate, right? Because she retired before that. But either way, it's a it's a great trajectory, great woman, um, and um, some someone worth uh, following the next steps and reading the biography when it comes out. Uh, but um, I, I, lo- I like that you mentioned something, which is the judicialization, right? I think that. Um, we, I always say, and we always focus on that here at the Brazil Institute, that the crisis of democracy in Brazil and in the U.S. is not uh, merely about representation. It's fundamentally about the ability of governments to deliver on their promises. And this challenge, obviously, it includes not only um, the institutional sclerosis that we find sometimes in government, where the structures become very slow and very ineffective, but also what you just mentioned, which is the high risk of judicialization, where we see courts more and more, rather than the, than the political process, deciding on significant issues. And uh, this impacts, I think, a lot on the governability. It increases the governability costs. And also it decreases the delivery capacity of uh, the executive. So and then, uh, and then I go talking about it, governability and the future of Lula in in office. And you mentioned recently in one of your articles that um, you described how recent overturning of presidential vetoes uh, and the challenge to the Supreme Court by Congress in Brazil, how it uh, demonstrate a significant shift from a dominant executive-led system to a more consensus-oriented regime. And you described it in your article very well. But how do you think that this shift impacts the efficiency of governance in Brazil, particularly in terms of rapid policy response and crisis management, for example? Oh, this is a difficult question. Uh, I think for those who who do not follow the Brazilian politics very close, it's interesting to understand that Brazil is a presidential system with a multi-party system. And this multi-party system became very fragmented in the last uh, decade and a half. So Cardoso to government in the 90s, he had basically a coalition with three parties. Okay, so he won the presidency. His party was not a majoritarian party in Congress. He has to to, uh, acquire... Uh, the support of two other parties. And with this, he was able to govern, he was able to amend the Constitution, he was able to nominate members of the Supreme Court without any obstacle. 
So, yes, he, he has some uh, defeats in Congress, but basically he, he improved or he was capable of making the reforms that needed. Lula, exactly the same. So we had for, uh, uh, for four mandates a very functional government. Even though we protest, we say it was too slow, but seen from now, the level, what we call level of dominance of the executive over the agenda of the legislative shows that presidents that created a consensus were able to implement their programs. Okay, With Dilma, this started to, to change. And there were several changes, and the Supreme Court was responsible for some of these changes. Uh, uh, the number of parties started to grow uh, around 2008, 2009, and it kept growing. So Brazil has more than 30 parties now, even though not all of them are functional, but they, are, they have their presence in, 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 in Congress. So for a, a, a president to, to have a majority today, it needs to have a large, a very large uh, uh, coalition with many parties that do not have alignment in terms of programmatic issues. So for Lula, he has more than 10 parties. So it's harder to govern now. And it is a fact that uh, the, the co- that Congress is much more conservative than, than the presidents. So it is a, a, a situation where you could say that we have a minoritarian president. The president doesn't count with a large uh, uh, support uh, for Congress. This makes everything move slower and makes uh, the president much more careful in what he can present to Congress. So in normal circumstances, this means it's a very consensual model. Uh, president, uh, even if you have you know, a left-wing president as Lula, you have a conservative Congress, so it will only pass things that are not bipartisan, as you say in the U.S., but things that really uh, 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 acquire a level of consensus in society that moves on. So it's much harder. Uh, it's much slower. I think this uh, uh, leads uh, to a, a frustration in, in the administration because people who experienced uh, a, a decade ago Lula as a very strong president, now he's not a very strong president. He's a, he's a president that has to work a lot with, uh, with, with Congress to approve things that are very uh, small in terms of uh, 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 its consequences. But even though we had a very important reform of the tax uh, system, uh, which was, uh, you know, inachievable in the past and was achieved now. So I think uh, it, this leads to a very centrist uh, government. So, uh, uh, you know, I'm not completely uh, uh, obsessed with the idea that the government is powerless. I think the government has to work much more to approve what it needs. And and then it comes the Supreme Court, the Supreme Court, which is very powerful. And it is, in ideological terms, I say, more aligned with the president than with Congress. And then you see this battle of powers, the relationship between the Supreme Court and the Congress is being much uh, harder than it was before. 
the president, the, the relationship of the Supreme Court and the president is much softer than it was before. So, but this is how uh, how the system functions. You know? uh, power is 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 a very uh, uh, relational phenomenon, and uh, it it changes in terms of how uh, the electoral distribute its votes. And the case in Brazil at this moment is that the uh, the, the the citizens put a president that is progressive and a, a, a Congress that is conservative. So the relation between the two is very hard to, 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 to move smoothly. But it's completely different than what we had during the Bolsonaro uh, situation. No, absolutely. And one thing that uh, we have coming up, we were just uh, talking before we started recording about the number of elections we have this year. And this year we have local elections in Brazil, right? Uh, in 5,570 electing mayors. I think this election may give us a little bit of the pulse on how how Bolsonarismo, Bolsonaro's uh, allies and versus Lula polarization is going to be. But also when I hear your thoughts and how much it, it may impact or not Lula's governability due to the change in Congress, how they are going to, how it may change or not this landscape for Lula. Okay, I'm not an expert in elections, but, you know, I'm old, so I have seen many of them. Uh, normally, the, the municipal elections that happens in the midterm uh, of the presidential mandate here in Brazil, they are not very nationalized, okay? They're more about what is happening in the, in the cities. Uh, besides some cities as Sao Paulo or Rio or Belo Horizonte, the larger cities then, you know, the presidents or the, the, the would like to be presidents, they participate very intensively. So, yes, there will be some test uh, of uh, Lula's uh, uh, popularity and Bolsonaro's popularity in major cities in Brazil. Uh, however, uh, uh, in the past, we have seen many presidents losing uh, uh, their uh, um favorite candidates losing in larger cities and then they being re-elected. So I think we have to, to separate a little bit. You know, the importance is very important. It is important mostly in large cities like Rio, Sao Paulo, Porto Alegre, uh, Salvador. But for the rest of Brazil, I think the parochial issues dominated, uh, 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 will dominate the, the, the election scenery. Well, it was great talking to you. Thank you so much, Oscar. And I'm glad you were coming back. You were coming to Washington in March, and I look forward to seeing you. Okay, thank you. It's a pleasure always to, to talk with you. And, you know, uh, uh, the challenging questions that I don't know how to answer, we'll try to study and, and, and have better answers in March. <laughs> no, that's great. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. To learn more, visit our website, www.wilsoncenter.org/brazil. Until next time, thanks for listening.